Well, in our passage that we're going to look at this weekend, uh, Jesus is going to be asked a question by a man. And really, the question the man asks is to trip Jesus up. He's trying to get Jesus to say something or do something that they could use against him. And instead, and, and, and the other thing we'll see is the man not only is doing that, he's trying to justify his own life. He's trying to do deeper. He's trying to justify his own life. And instead, what Jesus does, he does something very unexpected. And he says something to that man and to us that we have to hear. He basically is going to say to this man, you cannot help others until I help you. <laughs> and, and, and that's something that he didn't understand. In other words, he's saying, you can't help others until... Jesus has helped you. And that's what we're going to look at this weekend. But I think this passage speaks directly to a couple of underlying themes that we have going about our, our lives, if we're honest. Uh, the first one is we tend to downplay our desperate need or how bad we are or how we tend to kind of say, well, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't have get everything right. I say and do things sometimes that are wrong. But I mean, I'm just, I just need a little sandpaper on the edges. I'm not really that bad. I'm not, you know, uh, or that's one we do. The other one is we say, you know, I'm pretty good. I generally do the right thing. I generally, you know, move in the right direction. And, and if push came to shove and if you were to ask somebody sitting next to you or somebody that's important in your life and they were honest with you, you go, yeah, you're really not seeing things as clearly as you think you are. Or here's, here's the third one that I think this text is going to bring out. We often, many times we say the right thing, we do the right thing, but there's usually some type of an ulterior underlying motive that we have that if that was revealed, it would really take away a lot of the weight of what we are doing. Like when we give or when we give our time or talent or treasure, or when we say something nice or whatever. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, ever said something nice and you're thinking exactly the opposite in your head? You say, well, I have to say something. Maybe it's about your boss or somebody else. And uh, you, you don't really mean it. But you say it because you don't want to get fired. or there's, We have that going on all the time. And here's what Jesus is, wants to say to us this weekend. He wants to speak to us really about where our heart is, how are we made right with God, and how do we look beyond ourselves? How do we look beyond ourselves? You know, 2014, what we want you to do, especially this month, we want you to focus on how can you make your life make a difference for someone else? How can you live beyond yourself? How can you make an impact or a, a finger, put a fingerprint into a life, a positive fingerprint into a life? How can you do that? So we want to look at that. So the passage we're going to look at is one of my favorite passages uh, uh, in, in all the Bible. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And Jesus tells a parable, but we have to set the parable up with the questioning from this uh, religious uh, expert, uh, this expert in the law, probably a Pharisee. And he says this to Jesus. This is uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Now, he should have just walked away. 
but he didn't. This is where it gets to the deeper issue. The man wanted to justify his actions. That's a key phrase. If you have your Bible, you might want to underline it. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho, down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, priests came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. The temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him down to the inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now you go and do the same. So a couple of things come out in this passage. Number one, we all tend to justify our act, try to ju- justify our actions and our behavior. And here's the other, the underlying premise of his question. He, the, essentially, this man is saying, "Is God is going to accept me because of my good behavior? I'm a good person, so God will accept me." That's essentially what he's saying. The man thought that he was good with God. He was seeking to justify himself, but Jesus would have none of that. We often do the same thing. We seek to justify ourselves. How do you know if you're, if you're going through life and you're, 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 you're going, and this is, a, this is almost a default mode of the world today, especially in American culture, in our pop culture, is that we go to this self-justifying mode. It's very easy to go to. Well, how do you know if you flipped into that mode? Just answer these two questions. Are you right now, do you feel in your heart, in your soul, do you feel like you're right with God? That's the first question. So if you say, well, no, I don't, well, then (laughs) that's the first thing you have to figure out, and hopefully the rest of this message will help you with it. But if you say, yeah, I feel like I'm okay with God. I feel like I'm pretty good with God. Then the next question really gets to the heart of it. Then why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that you're good with God if you do feel that way today? Why do you feel that way? You say, well, I, Pastor, I feel that way because I believe in God. I feel that way because I'm here at church. And look, I'm here and there are other people that aren't here. And, uh, or I give or I do. That. Now, you, what you've just done is you said, I feel like I'm good with God because I'm a good person or because I'm doing the right things or my behavior seems to be acceptable. And I just want to say to you, if that's your understanding of why you're good, you feel like you're good with God, you don't understand the gospel. The man was asking Jesus, essentially, you see, see, the key point here is that good behavior and how we, good behavior and living your life, how you should live it, is not the way you inherit eternal life. In other words, living a good life may be a way of life, but it's not a way to life. It may be a good way to live, but it's not a way to live forever. It doesn't bring eternal life. The man was saying, essentially saying, what's the minimum standard that I have to, I have to uh, uh, um, obey, I have to do to inherit eternal life. What is it? 
<laughs> and, and, and Jesus says, okay, that leads to a story, or we call them parables. So he tells this parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, the Jew, and, and, and here's how the story goes. There's a Jewish man, and it's very important that he picks a Jewish man, who is uh, walking uh, on this very treacherous road, and he is attacked by bandits. He's beaten, he's robbed, he's left for dead. And he's Jewish, and it's very important that he's Jewish because you'll see that plays an important role as the story moves on. So he's left dead at the side of the road, and lo and behold, here comes a priest who's probably just finished temple service. He's walking down this treacherous road. He sees the man and uh, sees his sorry state, and instead of assisting the man, he, he walks to the other side of the road and and goes on. He avoids him. He continues on his journey. And same thing, a temple assistant comes down, probably been serving in the temple, sees the man, does exactly the same thing, probably in his mind thinking, hey, I knew you can actually see people as they're walking down the road, you know, because it curves and winds. And so he probably knew the priest was ahead of him, say, hey, he didn't do anything, so why should I do anything? And he walks on. So we come to the third man. The third man is a Samaritan. And in the text it says this, and it, it's the Bible in the New Testament especially points this out. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. In fact, uh, it, was, it was not unlikely when you went from the northern region to the southern region, the southern region to the northern region, and Samaria was right in the middle. You go around it. You wouldn't go through it. So they were hated people. They were a hated race. And so a Samaritan man, hated, a race hated by the Jew, he sees the man. He walks over to him. He has compassion for him. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes, care, he takes him to an inn. He cares for him overnight. He, he has to leave in the morning, but he gives the innkeeper enough money to take care of him. And he says, I will, I will, I will take care of whatever expenses. If he's here for a week, and, and you know, I will pay that. Don't worry about it. Next time I'm here, we'll square, we'll square up. In other words, he saves this man's life. He has love and compassion. And here's what's going on. There were limits that this man had for his love and compassion. The, the man that was uh, questioning Jesus, he says, I'll love, but only this much. And you know what? That's what we tend to do. We tend to put limitations on our love and compassion for others. And I think we do that in three different ways. The first one is we put limits on who we will love and have compassion for. We do that. We, we limit it. We say, you know, if they're a family member, somebody I like, somebody that I care about, yeah, I have no problem doing that. You just ask and I will respond. And, and often we, we like to do that. But, you know, Scripture tells us that we're to love our enemies, that we're to have compassion for people we don't necessarily know or necessarily like. And that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. And Jesus chose a hated Samaritan to rescue a Jewish man. And what he's showing here is that you cannot put limitations on this whole idea of love and compassion. You can't do that. You can't say, well, I'm not going to love them because they're the wrong race. They're the, the color of their skin is wrong. Or they're my enemy. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. I'm not going to love, have love and compassion for them. And Jesus is essentially saying, your neighbor is anyone who is in need. Uh, don't you dare try to limit this. And, and Jesus is saying, you need to love with no thought of race. And 
you need to, uh, you can no longer write off groups of people because of their race, and you can no longer choose not to love a person because they happen to be your enemy. So this is just changing everything. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to say, well, if they're my friends, if I'm a family member, somebody I know, uh, then I will do it. And Jesus says, no, no. Uh, you can't do it. You can't make a decision based upon somebody that's of the wrong race or of the, the color of the skin is wrong or they, they may not be friends with you. You may, that you, you can't put those limitations on, but we often do. Here's the second thing he says. We often limit when we will help people. We say, well, you know, I'll even help a stranger. Uh, we're okay when helping people if they're innocent or we feel like, uh, but you know what? What about people who make fo- foolish choices? What about people who, who you say, well, they're in that lot because they made some horrible choices. They, 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 uh, they, uh, they got themselves into that. It's, you know, and, 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 but here's the thing. The Jews would have said, you know, a Jewish man walking by seeing a Samaritan beaten by the side of the road would have said, well, he deserved it probably. He was foolish enough to be walking on this road alone. Or they would have said, well, you know what? I don't really care about them. Whatever he gets bad, he had it coming. And Jesus says, you know what? You can't make that judgment. Um, We have to minister even to those who make poor choices, who find themselves in predicaments that they have caused themselves. You know, Jonathan Edwards wrote a great uh, uh, little sermon, and he he called it, uh, it was like a treatise on Christian charity, Christian love. And, And he basically says, why should you love people when they put themselves in bad states. And because you say, well, I, well, I'll help somebody who is, is, didn't do anything wrong and it just, they had a bad, you know, a bit of bad luck, you know, understand what I mean by luck. But they had a bad go of it and uh, I'm willing to help them, but not somebody who put themselves in that situation. And I just want to give you his logic. And I think it's good. He says, you know what? You can't just do that. There, the people that have put themselves in uh, and made poor choices, there's three reasons why you still need to consider showing compassion and charity to them. The first one is this. Because where would you be if you hadn't received... Because see, we assume that, that they had the same... Uh, benefits that we had, that they were raised in a good home, that they were, they were given a good education, that they financially had the same financial, uh, or that they were raised at the right time in the right geographical location, so that they have the opportunities that we've had. And maybe they've had none of that. And so it would, it's easy for us to say with our opportunities, with all the, the perks and all the things that we've had, that we say, you know what, uh, They should have done better with what they were given. Well, maybe they weren't given nearly as much. So he says, you can't just make that judgment. Secondly, the gospel compels us to overlook their sins and mistakes and to show forgiveness. And his point is this. If we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have received forgiveness and grace, and we don't deserve it, and we got ourselves into this, and we we were in desperate need, and Christ came and helped us in our desperate need, then we need to have that same compassion and that same love for others who have done this same to themselves. And here's the third reason he gives. Even if they're not innocent, even if they've gotten themselves into this jam, even if that's all true, 
you can't hold the sins of maybe a parent against the children. There are children who are innocent. There are others that are suffering. And, and to say, well, I'm not going to help anyone there because they've made poor decisions. You say, well, there's a whole family there maybe that you're, you're not withholding your, your love and your care and your assistance to. And so I think he makes a pretty compelling thing that we just can't look at a situation and say, well, it's not my problem and walk the other side of the road. I just want to make a point uh, talking about our Good Samaritan team. On communion weekends like next weekend, we'll have our Good Samaritan offering, and we have a Good Samaritan team. And that team assists people within this hope, faith community. They're committed to helping families develop new healthy patterns so they don't repeat the destructive patterns of the past. In other words, we don't want to just help people uh, out of a bind. We want to help them so that they, in the future they don't get into binds. So it's a pretty transparent and it's a pretty aggressive way to say we want to help you develop new patterns. And they're, they're fully committed to helping people, not just help them to get out of a jam, but to help them prevent future jams. And so we appreciate that team, and I want you to pray for that Good Samaritan team to God give them wisdom as they deal with people who are struggling and, and many times have put themselves into the, these jams. So we, we limit who we'll help. We limit when we'll help. And then finally, we'll limit how much we'll help. We say, you know, I would help more if I had more. If I had more time, if I had more money, if I had more ability, I would help more. Uh, but Jesus puts the story on a stretch of road. Everyone knew the stretch of road. This was a, a dangerous stretch of road. In fact, it was so dangerous that this particular place, probably where he got mugged, uh, where the Jewish man got mugged, was called the Pass of Blood. <laughs> Can you imagine that walking down the road? Okay, here we're coming to the Pass of Blood. This is it. You know, if, if something's going to go wrong, if there's bandits, it's going to be right here. And so they knew this as well. And so the priest and the temple assistant knew this, the, probably the, the stretch of road and, and knew that they were, they were in... They probably walked by because they were smart. Because it was dangerous. They didn't know how long ago this man had been beaten and left for dead. They didn't know whether the bandits were still there. For all they knew, the bandits were right there, and they were in danger. If they had waited, they would have been in danger. So instead, they said, you know what? I, I don't know what his state is, but I know this. I'm getting out of here. And so they weren't willing to take a risk. And Jesus does that on purpose. He is basically saying that oftentimes, if you're going to assist somebody, if you're going to really show love and compassion, it's going to cause, it's going to have to cause you to take a risk. It's going to have to cause you to make a sacrifice because this isn't just giving uh, extra that you have. This may be risking. Uh, this may be taking a risk on a person. This may be taking you out of your comfort zone. This may be making you have to take a sacrifice to do it. So Jesus is calling us to show love and compassion. Uh, and that may mean love that you choose to sacrifice. The Good Samaritan risked everything. He risked his safety, his reputation, his resources for an enemy. He gave the beaten man generous assistance. He sacrificed for the man. And the Bible tells us very clearly in Scripture that we are to bear one another's burdens. And you know what? What, what we're essentially saying here is you can't bear a burden unless you're willing to sacrifice yourself. And see, this whole month, what we're trying to do is we're asking you to live beyond yourself. We're asking you to look to the needs of others. We're asking you to think about what 
opportunities God is bringing into your life on a daily or a weekly basis where he's saying, will you be a, a good Samaritan here? Will you reach out? Will you minister to this person who that you can minister to? Yes, you may have to sacrifice. You may have to take a risk, but it's, wor- it's worth doing that. In other words, if you're going to bear a burden, sometimes you're going to have to suffer. And Jesus may be calling you to, to suffer and to sacrificially give. This call this month is to look out for the needs of others, to rethink how you're using your time. And, and I just want you to ask, think in your mind, how are you this year in 2014 as we begin a new year, how are you going to live beyond yourself? How are you going to look out for the needs of others? And can you and will you do that? Now, there's three ways that we can do this. There's three ways that you can say, like, we could stop now and you say, well, there you go. You've, you've given me a task. You, you know, I'll go out and do it. I've got a list of things I need to do for other people. And you can go out and do that. But there's motivations. Remember, we said there's these underlying motives that we have. Let's get at some of those for a moment. Why should we do that? What should motivate us to do that? Well, the first one, it was the motivation the man came, gave when he asked Jesus the question. He said, I want to justify myself. So in other words, how many of these men do I have to help? How often do I have to help? When do I have to help? You know, what's the limitations? What do I have to do? What's the minimum I have to do? And when we seek to justify ourselves and we live a life that's based on morality, we say, well, I'll help others because it will help me with God. In other words, I'll do good deeds in order to be justified. It says the man was seeking to justify himself. And, and that's sometimes, many times, a motivation we have. We say, well, I'll help this person because it'll help me one day with God. I'll have my resume and it'll be on my resume. Helped man in time of need. There it is, right there. And so that looks good on my resume. In other words, he was doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do. But he had limits to what he would do. And he's like many people today who ask the question, how much do I need to do? What's the minimum I must do to get in? And that's one motivation. The second motivation is guilt. Uh, And that's the idea of, I guess I should do something here. (laughs) And some of you are feeling guilty and you're going, I guess I should do something in 2014. Don't know what, but I should do something. And uh, you see a person in need and you say, "Uh, look, they have so little and I have so much. I should be able to give them a little bit of something. You know, you know, the commercials on TVs play to this whole guilt thing. You see, and the, ch- the commercials are like three or four minutes long now, and they have this starving child, or they have these animals that are just, you know, I don't know where they, you know, these animals are in terrible shape. And you go, man, somebody should do something. I feel so guilty about this. I should give them money, or I should do that. And, and you know what? Uh, we as a church could do that. We could say, you know, we have these great needs. We have th- this need here, and this need here, and this need here. And don't you feel bad about it? And, and, and don't you feel like you should do something? And, and, and I could make you feel all guilty in that. And, you, and, and then you give and you say, well, I feel better now. I don't feel quite as guilty as I used to feel. Um, and we could do that. But you know what? Guilt will not motivate you when you're walking down the dangerous road and you see the need. Guilt doesn't motivate you then. So you can be motivated by morality or you can be motivated by guilt, but let me give you the greatest motivation of all, the gospel. The gospel is this. I've been rescued, and therefore I desire to rescue others. And, and see, that's the greatest motivation at all. You know, until we see our, help, our own helpless and hopeless state, we don't have the capacity or the desire to help others the way that Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling for a heavy, a heavy uh, dose 
of, of Samaritanism, of, of reaching out to other people's needs, of looking to the needs of others. And you know what? You can't sustain that on your own. The only way you'll be able to radically love others and to, uh, is to experience the radical love of Jesus for you. When you understand that Jesus met you on the road, when you begin to understand the grace and the mercy that he's shown you, you will gratefully give the same love and care and concern to others, even your enemies. So let me ask you a question as we close this up. Who do you see yourself as in this parable? In one sense, of course, we have to see ourselves as a good Samaritan because Jesus is calling us to be good Samaritans, essentially. That's what he's calling us to be. So we have to see ourselves as a good Samaritan. But here's, here's the point. This is really, to me, the tight point of this parable. What Jesus is saying is, you will never be the good Samaritan until you first become the person who is left beaten and bloodied, left for dead on the road. Until you see yourself as the person left beaten and bloodied and left for dead on the road, you will never be, you can never be the good Samaritan. It'll it'll never happen. You see, we have to see ourselves as left beaten and bloodied and left for dead, helpless and hopeless. And Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. And he risked everything. And he came to our rescue. He crossed over. He came from heaven to earth. He crossed over to the other side of the road. And he found us lying there, left for dead. We were left for dead spiritually. And he crossed over the road and he rescued us. And he didn't just risk his life. He gave his life for us. And and he paid our debt. And the point is this. You can't be the good Samaritan until you become the person on the side of the road. You're not able to save yourself. This man who was beaten, was he was going to die. He needed a rescuer. He needed a savior. And he, he needed somebody to come into his life. And you can't save yourself. Only the good Samaritan, only the great Samaritan, Jesus, who crossed the road can rescue you. And he, again, he didn't risk his life. He gave his life. And he paid your debt in full. Uh, you know, the, the man, the Samaritan man took him and he says, if there's any debt, I'll take care of it. And Jesus paid our debt. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross. And only a person who understands his own rescue can go and rescue others. Only a person who is left for dead can find real compassion and concern for those who are left for dead spiritually. We love others because he first loved us. We risk for others because he gave himself for us. This is the gospel motivation. We do it for him. We do it because we have been rescued because he paid our debt. You know, feeding people, sheltering, protecting the weak, liberating the oppressed. This is the essence of someone who has been transformed by the gospel. These actions don't give you life, but they prove that you have life. And, And if you use these actions to try to justify yourself, you don't understand the gospel. But when you have been received, when you have been saved, when you have been rescued, when you have received aid and help from uh, on high, and you understand and appreciate that, you, you find a new, uh, a new power, a new ability, a new desire to reach out and help others. So let me ask you a question. Have you come to see yourself first as the man lying helpless and hopeless on the side of the road in desperate need of rescue? You, if you if not... Call out today and say, Jesus, I need somebody to rescue me. I am helpless and hopeless. And and rip up this resume of righteousness, this self-righteousness that you have, and get rid of it. And then number two, maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've reached that point where I've come to the place where I've understood who Jesus is. I've understood how much he loves me. 
I've understood that I was helpless and hopeless. I was left bloody and beaten and, and half left for dead on the side of the road. That he crossed over, came to heaven. He, 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 he came to me. He, he bandaged my wounds. He healed me by his stripes. We are healed. He took me to the inn. He paid my debt. He, he rescued me. He saved my life. And now, because he saved my life and because he's giving me life, I have life to give to others. I have grace and mercy that I've received that I want others to receive. Because the good Samaritan has rescued me, now I want to be a Samaritan because of appreciation and love and concern that I have received. So what's one small step that you can take this week? See, we want to end this each week on one small step that you can take that's looking beyond yourself, looking to others. So let me give you three things that I just quickly jotted down. Why not do this? Take a meal to a shut-in, maybe spend some time with them. Maybe shovel some snow for some people that can't. Maybe, you know, just do something like that. Volunteer maybe at the Dubuque Mission or the Dream Center or St. Mark's in the next month. Do something for someone else. Give a pint of blood, especially, or even if you're afraid of needles. Do something for someone else. And then there's a blank, I think, on there. Why don't you take a moment and just write down, here's something that I'm going to do. Maybe not one of these, but something that I'm going to do, that I'm going to look beyond myself. I'm going to live beyond myself. I'm going to do something for another person. Because I was rescued, because I was saved. So take a minute. I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. I want you just to write something down. Maybe something that you've thought about or maybe you don't know and you need to pray about it and just do that. 30 seconds. Go. I think that's 30 seconds. I don't know. Didn't think I could be quiet for 30 seconds, did you? All right. Would you stand with me? So I want you to live. You know, it may be that God's going to bring you some good Samaritan opportunities in the next week or the next month or the next year. Good Samaritan opportunities. They're going to show up. They're going to be there. You're going to say, this is what he was talking about. This is it right here. And you're going to have to decide, what am I going to do here? And I just want you to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond in the way he responded to you. And I want you to respond in such a way that when people say, see what you've done and the love and compassion and concern that you showed them, and maybe it's a stranger, maybe to an enemy, they go, why in the world would you do this? for me. And you say, because I was laying bloody and beaten and half dead on the side of the road. And a great Samaritan came and rescued me. And this is my way of saying, thank you. Do it for him. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the good Samaritan that can only come as we see ourselves as beaten and bloodied and left for dead on the side of the road rescued by the great Samaritan who came down from heaven, crossed over from heaven, who bandaged our wounds, who paid our debt, who not only risked his life, but gave his life. May we live our lives, Father, in appreciation of the gospel, of the grace 
that you have given to us. And may we share that grace and love with others. Not to be made right, because we already are right because of what Christ has done. But out of love and appreciation and gratitude for the grace that we have received. May others say, why in the world would you do that? And may we respond, because once somebody, somebody rescued us.